If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 2. And we've been walking through this book for the last couple of weeks, and we've got two more weeks left this week and next week. And we're going to be looking at, um, today specifically, uh, the third message that the prophet Haggai gave to the people. And if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we started this series with an understanding that Haggai is a guy we don't know much about at all. In fact, we only see him mentioned one other place in Scripture, one other book in Scripture, and it's about his time prophesying here. He burst onto the scene. He comes in and gives three, four messages over three dates and then departs never to be heard from again. And his concern with the nation is they were a group of people who had watched the glory of God depart from their lives and their nation, and they were wondering how they could begin to live for him again. Now, the truth is, when Haggai comes onto the scene, they're not even really thinking about that. They're just thinking that they've got to get their houses together, and the thing they've left in ruins is the temple of the Lord. I will say this. If you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks or you missed a week, I would highly encourage you to get online, find uh, there's video and audio, both of the sermons from the last couple of weeks, just because it sets the scene for what we're talking about today. And you can go back and kind of understand it. The name of the series is Reversing Ichabod, and basically... The word Ichabod means no glory. And so Haggai comes onto the scene and says, listen, you've been living for years without God's presence in your life. In chapter 1, he comes to him and says, you came back, you were ambitious, you were excited, you were ready to go, and you started to build the temple, but it got difficult and you quit. And for 15 years, you lived without the presence of God in your midst. For 15 years, you've been disobedient. For 15 years, you've planted and the harvest hasn't come. You've brought in things and it's not what you expected. You've put money into your pockets and it seems like it's just slipping on out. For 15 years, you've struggled under this understanding of who God is and missing His presence. 15 years is a long time, right? You think for me, what were you doing 15 years ago? Some of you weren't even born. I know that. Fifteen years ago, I was, during this week, getting prepared for my final week of Cross Point Sports Camp where I was camp pastor. Getting ready for my last year at Union. Susan and I were beginning to talk about things like engagement and marriage. A lot has changed in 15 years. Hey, turn around. Tell somebody what you were doing 15 years ago. Find somebody around you. Tori, make sure you have a good answer over there what you were doing 15 years ago. All right. All right, everybody back this way. Here's what I want you to think about. This group of people had lived 15 years under a system and a place where the presence of God was absent. And we talked about in the first week. That God is omnipresent, so He is all places at all times. But in Scripture, there's this definite understanding that there are certain moments when He kind of pulls back His presence, or He allows people to live on their own, or He doesn't make Himself as evident as other times. 
And so Haggai comes to him and says, you've got to rebuild the temple. You've got these nice houses. And yet the place where you worship the Lord is not there. And so they begin the process of rebuilding the temple. And last week we talked about they get in the midst of rebuilding the temple and they realize it's not going to be as nice as it used to be. It's not going to be as good as it used to be. It's not going to be like it used to be. And Haggai says, don't miss out on what God is doing right now because of your focus on what used to be. Well, this week we come to a moment in time when Haggai is going to give him another message. It's the third one he's given. It's a few months after the first one. The first one would have been in the middle of August. They would have started rebuilding the temple around the September. The second one would have been in the middle of September to the end of September. And then this one comes a couple of months later in the middle of December. Now, a lot of people wonder why he gave it at this particular time, because the other ones are centered around feast that they would have had in Israel. In fact, the name of the prophet Haggai literally means feast. But what I believe is happening here, what I think is going on, is that they have done the hard work of clearing out the rubble from the temple. The temple had been completely destroyed and was in ruins. In fact, it would have been a reminder to everybody that went by that something had happened there years ago. And until it had been cleared out, you couldn't rebuild. We were driving um, yesterday. We, we got out and went to, to Target and Chick-fil-A and all that out in the Glenbrook area of Hendersonville. And as we went the back way down by Mansker Farms and went uh, the road that goes around back there and you know the tree that is down? Has anybody seen that? Has anybody seen that tree? If you hadn't seen it, you probably need to drive over there and see the tree. It's one of the oldest trees in Hendersonville, what I've been told. This huge tree that is down. Storm the other night, got it either lightning or wind or both, combination of heat and all that. And it, I thought that they're going to have to put something else there because all that tree is going to be is a reminder of the devastation. This temple in ruins was a reminder of the devastation. So the first work that they had to do when they went about rebuilding the temple was to clear away the rubble of the old. What I believe is happening here in this chapter 2 that we're about to read is that they have gotten the rubble cleared away and they've got the foundation ready to go and they are having a service of dedication for the temple, for the foundation. Have you ever been a part of a groundbreaking ceremony? You know, it's, 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 if you look at the picture, it's kind of a strange thing sometimes. You've got guys in coats and ties with hard hats on and shovels. And you know they're not doing real work there. They're not about to really get in there and dig. But it's a symbolic groundbreaking. That's kind of what I think is happening here with Haggai. And in chapter 2, what he's going to tell the Israelites is this. You've started the work that is necessary to see the glory and the presence of God return in a mighty way to you. But there's one thing you still lack. So chapter 2, starting in verse 10, here's what it says. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. And just get ready. This is going to bless your soul. All right, you ready? This is what the Lord of hosts says. Ask the priest for a ruling. We have to remember in their day and time, the, the judges in their land, if you will, the people that interpreted the law were the religious leaders. We live in a society where the law and religion are separate, but in their society, they were all the same. And so when you had a legal question, you went to the priest. Verse 12. If a man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and with his fold touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food 
does it become holy? Seems like the most consequential thing you can ask, right? I know some of you have been waiting for an answer to that question for months. The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, well, what if someone defiled by contact with a corpse touches any of these? Does it become defiled? And the priest answered, yes, it becomes defiled. So what in the world is Haggai doing? Well, he's asking some questions to get some answers to take people to a deeper level. And this is what he's basically instructing them to understand. What they need to understand is this. That holiness is not contagious. You know what contagious means, right? At our house, we know what contagious means. With our four children now, whenever we, when one of us gets the stomach virus, we know it's running through the house, right? One of us gets a bad cold, somebody starts to, I mean, you, you, when somebody says to us, when one of the kids comes up and goes, Dad, my throat feels a little scratchy. We know the next eight weeks of our lives are going to be involved in colds, right? We know what contagious means. And what he's saying here is holiness is not contagious. Now, here's how we get there. In their day and time, there was this understanding that anything that was going to be used in the service of the Lord or the worship of the Lord had to be set apart, had to be holy. Now, the reason for that is pretty simple, right? God is holy. And God said that anything that is used to worship me must be holy. In fact, he makes this declaration that he can't have anything to do with things that are defiled, that are unholy. And so they would go through this major process to get things ready. So anything that was used for the service of the Lord, any kind of candlestick, any kind of temple uh, accessory, any kind of meat, any kind of animal, anything at all that was to be used for the worship of God had to be set apart, had to be holy. And he says, let's suppose for a moment you're carrying some consecrated meat in your pocket. Because we all carry meat around all the time. I know. Anybody carry meat right now? Because y'all just kind of acted like, yeah, you're right. So you carry, suppose you're carrying it around and it touches something else. Does it automatically make that thing holy? No. The priest said, holiness is not contagious. So Haggai wants them to understand, holiness is not contagious, but defilement is. He says, well, what if somebody touches a corpse? Again, not something we normally kind of do. But in their day and time, if you touched a corpse, you were unclean for days. What if someone is unclean from touching a corpse and touches food, wine, stores. Do those things become contaminated, defiled? And the answer is yes. The idea is that Haggai is going to tell the people is that you have to understand that you can't catch holiness, but you can catch defilement being wrong before the Lord. Now, I know we don't talk in terms of consecrated meat a lot. And so I wanted to kind of illustrate this in a different way. I didn't just, I didn't, we didn't think this was a cool new decorating idea to have vases of water up here. But let's pretend for the moment, for the sake of our argument today, that these two vases are filled with 100% pure water. Not ivory soap, 99.9%, but 100% pure water, right? And so you've got one vase with pure water and another vase with 
pure water. Thank you, three of you. There you go. And so let's imagine for a moment that one of these vases gets contaminated just a little bit. All right. So not very much in there, but it gets contaminated. And so now we have a holy, pure water and a contaminated, defiled water. Now, let me ask you a question. If I take the holy water, if you will, the pure water, and I pour it into here, is it going to clean up this water? No, right, it's going to stay like it is. But what happens if I take this water and I pour it in here? Defiled, right, as the youth said up here. Holiness is not contagious, but defilement is. Here's where that's important for us. As the people of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been set apart by Him. We have been made clean by Him. We have been declared righteous by Him. And in His Word, He tells us that we are to be holy because He is holy. And what we have to understand is that it is much easier to be contaminated than it is to become holy. And here's why it's important for us as believers. is because we live in a filthy, contaminated society. Now, this is not the point where I go off and start telling you everything to watch or not watch and all the things that are bad about where we live. We just know. And we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't expect non-believers to act like they're a part of God's family. But we should suspect and expect believers to act like they're a member of God's family. And what Haggai is cautioning these people about is that it is so easy to slip into this place where you're contaminated. Our culture is a very contaminating culture. Two or three weekends ago, the movie industry had major success with what was called the filthiest weekend in American history of movies. The top movie was a movie about a teddy bear who grows up and is completely vulgar. The second movie was a movie about males with no clothes on. Some of you don't want to shake your heads because you don't want to acknowledge that you know what I'm talking about, but some of you have ticket stubs probably in your pocket. Ted and Magic Mike were the top two movies for the weekend. Major success for Hollywood. And the disconcerting thing is that as believers, so many of us have become not even worried about discerning whether things are good or not, that Christians flock to those movies as much as anybody else. And the thing is, it's much easier to become defiled than to remain holy. We're not talking about salvation issues here, so don't misunderstand me with that. In a book called The Next Story by Tim Chalice, he writes about something that happened with AOL a few years ago where they anonymously leaked information about searches on their site. Anonymously. They didn't have anybody's name on it. Well, what happened is eventually anonymous searches, people figured out how to find out who was searching. And all these searches got put up. And what they found in this trail of searches were, for the church, some very disconcerting things. For instance, that people that searched for something like games 
for Wednesday night youth, follow that up with searches for things that are completely inappropriate in any way. The author of the next story says, how would you feel or what does your Internet search history say about you? What if your Internet search history was made available for everyone in your small group, in your Sunday school class, every one of your coworkers, every one of your friends, your parents, your grandparents? Haggai looks at these people and says, listen, holiness is not contagious, but defilement is. And then he's going to remind them of the priority of holiness. Look at verse 14. So he's just said that if something that's defiled touches other things, it becomes defiled. And he says in verse 14, so is this people. Again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He doesn't call them my people or my nation, but he says this people. And so is this nation before me, the Lord's declaration. What he's saying is this people is defiled. And so every work of their hands, even what they offer there, is defiled. He says, because they are defiled, what they offer is defiled. Because they are defiled, what they do is defiled. And this is why it's important for these people. They've dedicated this temple. They've dedicated the foundation. And he says, it doesn't matter what you do to this place. If you are defiled, what happens in this place is defiled. It's the message that the prophets would give over and over again. When God looks and says, to obey is better than sacrifice. I hate your sacrifices because they come from lives that are impure. That it doesn't matter what you're doing in this place if your life is defiled, contaminated. He, he looked at verse 15, he says, don't forget where you just came from. Reflect back from this day. Before one stone was placed on another in the Lord's temple, what state were you in? Before we started this whole process, before this message that I gave you in the middle of August, what was life like? Then he gives them a reminder. When someone came into a heap of grain for 20 measures, it only amounted to 10. Here's the point. You didn't get what you expected. When one came to the wine press and did 50 measures from the vat, it only amounted to 20. I struck you all the work of your hands with blight and mildew and hail, but you didn't turn to me, says the Lord. And then he gives them the same thought he gives them that we talked about in chapter 1. Carefully consider what you're doing. From this day forward, from the foundation of the Lord's temple, consider it carefully. And he gives them a contemporary reminder. If you need to be reminded of what life was like, go check the granary. Because the harvest hadn't come in yet, he says. You're still suffering the consequences of your previous actions. But if today is truly coming from who you are, then from this moment forward, you're going to be blessed. He tells them, when you get into a situation where you've become contaminated, the only antidote, the only solution is repentance and obedience. He says, you didn't come back to me. And the implication is, when you finally returned to me, when you repented of that and you began to work on the temple, that was the first step in turning a curse into a blessing. Now, we all grew up with fairy tales, right? What's the key to reversing a curse in the fairy tales? True love's kiss, Wendy, exactly. Right? I mean, you have 
sleeping beauty who is desperately asleep. And along comes Prince Charming. Plants a kiss on her lips and she wakes up. You have Snow White and the seven dwarfs and she eats the poison apple. And what has to happen? He has to kiss her and wake her up. You have Cinderella. Okay, that was a glass slipper, but it's the same kind of thing, right? God's curse being reversed in that kind of thing. It doesn't happen instantaneously with a kiss. It happens with repentance and obedience. And it's almost like God in this moment is reaffirming the need for them to follow through on what they committed to do at the beginning. And that the one thing that was still there was that their lives were still defiled. Here's what that means for us. The truth is, as churches, we don't talk near enough about holiness anymore. And the understanding is because we can't do any of it without Jesus Christ, which is true. And the fact that all of us were in this state and the only way that we get completely cleansed is through the blood of Jesus washing us clean and accepting what he's done for us. But there's also this understanding that as we move forward in life, that what we do for the Lord, it's only as good as the way our lives have been devoted to him. And the honest truth is, the reason God isn't moving in many churches across America is because the churches of America are filled with people that have been defiled. And we're more concerned today about being cool than about being holy. About being relevant than how it affects our righteousness. We don't make decisions anymore about whether or not this is something that could impact me negatively for the kingdom of God and my soul. We make decisions about what everybody else is doing. The Lord says, everything we touch is defiled when that's our lifestyle. So here's the question for you today. What is it that the Lord is asking you to repent of and begin to obey Him? What is it that the Lord is asking you to admit and put in the past?